get to continue with Galatians. Uh, Pastor Brandon, some weeks ago, um, shared something that was really pretty obvious, and that is that when Paul was writing this, it's kind of like the same message again and again and again. Uses different words, used parts of his own story, and all of those things. But I think what we can take from this is that we have the book of Galatians, and we can't have too much gospel. And we can't have too many reminders that the law won't cut it with God. He gives us the law to guide us, to correct us, but it does not save us. So let's pray together for a minute. Father, thank you for this great message. I, I just once again astounded with uh, the life of Paul, the ministry of Paul, the far-reaching impact that he had, and his willingness to take on the things that were wrong. And maybe it's because he's an, an apostle, maybe it was because of the culture at that time, but Paul had this way of being very direct and yet also correct. So we thank you for these words that we are about to read and talk about. We thank you and we ask you that you would fill us with them. Fill us with your message, that which you would have us carry within us day by day, not just over the next few days, but for the rest of our life. Live in us through your word, I pray in your name, amen. Let's turn to um, Galatians 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 20. And uh, somebody have the page number in the Bible? 974, I can always count on Deb, she's always ahead of me, and I love it. Okay. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature who are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at the first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify, you to, to, testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you. But for no good purpose, they want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be, in the, be there, be present with you now, and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Father, again, 
We depend wholly on you. In your name, amen. I'm intrigued by a couple of things. We've got a couple word studies to do today. The first one is where it says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved by, to those that by nature are not gods. And actually that enslaved word, it really is an active verb. It says you slaved for those that were not gods. This was deliberate. They were doing it on purpose. There was nothing compelling them. It, the word that Paul uses here is deliberate. You slaved for those that are not gods. They were imaginary beings. And then the next verse, it says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back? There are two words in Greek that are translated know, K-N-O-W, in, in English. One of them is the one that is used in verse 8, and I hope you're following along with the Bibles that are underneath your seats or your own or on your phone or something like that. One of them means just to know about something. That's all it is. I know a little bit about cars. I know a little bit more about guitars. But that's all this is. And what he's saying is, you didn't know God. And that word means, didn't even know about God. Didn't know that he existed. You didn't know him. You didn't know about him. You had no clue. And instead, you slaved away for those who were not gods. But now you have come to know God. This is a different no. This is the no of relationship, of intimacy. Something where there's participation. I know my wife. I also know about her. But over the years, I have come to know her and her heart and her soul. And that's the word that is being used here. You see, before, before they came to Christ, before they believed in Jesus, they had no clue. But now that, that God has flooded their souls with grace and he's created faith within them to believe in Jesus, he has now created a knowledge that is intimate and personal. And that, that next little part there to that verse, rather to be known by God, it really kind of threw me. I had to do some research on that. What? Is it either or? No. It's really, the original language, it's more of an also. So, you have come to know God, intimate relationship, and he, you, has come to know you. You see, well, doesn't God know us anyway? I mean, has he always known? Yes, he knows about every one of us. He created me. He knows who I am. He knows what I'm all about. He knows what I'm going to do before I even do it. But then there is the moment of faith, the moment of justification when he comes into my soul and changes everything. It creates a relationship of intimacy that goes both ways. And this is what God desperately wants with every one of us. He wants that intimate, personal relation that says, you are mine and I'm yours. 
That's what he wants. And that's what he had given. And Paul, the apostle, knew that when he left there the first time, they got that. They had this wonderful, wonderful, intimate relationship with God, not based on anything that they did. It is based on faith, the kind of faith that only God can give. It's not a choice. It's a gift. So how can you turn back? We talked about the elementary principles of the world last week, if you weren't here. Basically, that's the foundational principles of the world. And the world is broken by what? Sin. Sin came into the world back in the garden, Adam and Eve, and it broke the world. It didn't just break them, it broke the world. And that's become the foundation of this world. Why would you go back? Do you want to be slaves again to all that stuff that you were doing before? You could say that that's a rhetorical question, but I think it answers itself. In fact, in Greek, when there are, answers, when there are questions asked, some of them are actually a question. And then there are questions where the answer is assumed, either negative or positive. And this is one of those questions where it's kind of like open. Is this what you want? You observe days and months and seasons and years. This tells us the extent to which the false brothers, the Judaizers, whatever it is you want to call them, there's the extent of their success. They had so achieved success in Galatia that they were beginning to do all of these observances of special days, special months, special seasons, new moons, Sabbaths, feasting days, all, all of these things. These are rituals. And they were there for to-dos, a to-do list. It's like if you don't do them, you're not really saved. They had become very successful in a very short period of time. I have in my not-so-sanctified imagination this idea that Paul went in there, he did his job, people were being saved, other people were being saved through the ones that were first being saved, and then all of a sudden, the Jews came along and flooded all of the towns of, of Galatia to try to turn them into Jews. Oh, you believe in Jesus. Wow, and that's really great. But you're not there yet. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do all these other things. And you know what? If we're not careful, that happens in the church as well. I lived under this early on when I was saved. I netted out this way. Saved by grace sanctified by my own work. It doesn't work. I never measured up, even after I believed. And I was living in a whole different kind of fear. Not that I wasn't saved, but that I could never amount to anything as a Christian. And that just isn't God's way. Yes, he gives us the law. Yes. Oh, hi. <laughs> I love it. I really do. Thank you, Marlon, for making sure that she made lots of noise on the way back. <laughs> okay. No, I don't remember where I was. <laughs> but that's all good. I don't mind it, especially not when it's kids. He just is mystified. And he said, look, become like me. Because I have already become like you. What does that mean? They were Gentiles. They were pagans. They didn't know anything about God. 
And he was a Jew, and he knew everything about God, but not really. And he became like them. He'd left the law behind. And now they're picking it up. I mean, the, the paradox is just beyond me. And he's saying, look, forget all that stuff. Become like me because I've left it all. Don't become like the old me. Become like the new me, the new me that is living in Christ and not depending on anything but him and what he has done. And then we get a little bit more of uh, Paul's story. Paul had a problem, and evidently it was pretty serious. He calls it a bodily ailment. There are lots of ideas on what that might have been. Nothing really tells us. But, you know, all kinds of things can provide an opportunity for the gospel. Here, he's sick. He has to be taken care of. And the Galatians, who knew nothing about God didn't know Jesus, didn't know about faith, or any of that kind of stuff. They took care of him. And in the middle of, being, of receiving their care for his body, he is sharing the gospel with them. And it's so great because they received him not just as a broken, sick, strange man from somewhere else. They received him as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ himself. That's how they received him, not because he was broken, but because of the message that he had for them, the message of the gospel. And now he's asking this question, what happened to that blessedness? They considered themselves blessed because Paul was there, angel of God, Jesus himself. I know that they didn't really put an equal sign in there, but they, they, they had seen so much through him. What happened? And then he goes on to say this strange thing. I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Well, everybody, people have made all kinds of suppositions about that. I just happen to have a, a resource that digs into all of the old little sayings of the first century. And really, that was an expression for giving somebody something that was priceless or telling somebody that they are so highly valued, I would take my eyes out and I would give them to you. And that's what these people were doing. It wasn't about literal eyes. We don't know what the ailment was. But what he is saying is that they would have done anything. They would have given anything to help him get better, and evidently they did. So, then, by telling you the truth, am I now your enemy? I've gone back and forth and back and forth on whether or not I'm going to share this story, but I'm going to. I actually did make the decision a couple hours ago. Um, when we were living in New Jersey, and I was working in sales, and our kids were in college, um, Jody and Jason were going to the same school. They were commuting there. And uh, they met a guy. And he had been um, in special forces, uh, in serving in the army, and then he got out. He got an injury and couldn't continue in his chosen career. And he ended up going to the same school. And he had a problem. He didn't know where he was going to live for the summer. 
And both Jody and Jason met him in different classes, and they had become friends. And so each one of them said, well, you could probably stay at our house. Really? Well, yeah, I have to talk to mom and dad first, but yeah, probably, probably room for you. And so he left that day thinking he had two places to stay. It was really just one. But anyway, they both came home and they said, hey, I, find, I met this guy and he needs a place to live. And wait a minute, I met a guy that needs a place to live. And, uh, oh, that guy, really? You know him too? And so we had him over. And, uh, you know, right out of the military, I mean, he was really polite. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I mean, stuff that kind of left after a while because none of our kids do that. Um, they're polite, but they don't do the yes, sir, and yes, ma'am thing. If, you, if they'd grown up in the South, that might have happened. I don't know. And he lived with us for four years while he, while he, while he went to school. Uh, we, we initially said, yeah, you can stay for the summer if you need to. He was getting ready to move out at the end of the summer, and I asked him, I said, so, you got enough put away to go to school and live too? Well, no, not really. I'm going to have to take a break from school. And so we said, then you should take that break with us and continue to live with us. And he spent four years there, and he became part of our family. We loved him like a son. He loved us like parents. He stopped calling us yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and started calling us mom and dad. And it was wonderful. It really was. And then shortly before he graduated, he moved out. People do that. Kids do that, hopefully. And, um, and then the communication became really limited. And I don't know what it was. We, we kept reaching out to him. And, you know, he would come over sometimes and sometimes not. And then after a year or so, the line went completely dead. And he wouldn't talk to us anymore. And I never really found out why. Later on, I learned uh, from something that he posted on, on Facebook that he had become an atheist. Had we become his enemies? Because we told him the truth. I don't know, but the communication that we have had has been really, really limited. He just doesn't respond. But you see, does telling, the pe telling people the truth, does that make us their enemies? Sometimes it does. Sometimes the truth and it's rejected right away. Nope, don't go there. Happened to me when I was in business all the time. Talk to people about Jesus, given the opportunity. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. But, you know, after years of not only telling the truth, sharing the truth, but, but sharing many other things that come from God's grace, are we his enemies now? And I don't really know because he hasn't answered the question. And yet that, believe it or not, is part of the cost of being there for people who need to hear the truth. And that's where Paul was. Am I now your enemy? Because I told you the truth. You know, we don't go out there to tell the truth 
so that we will become enemies. We don't, I don't go out there to stir the pot and, and create tension and all those kind of things. I just want to talk to people about Jesus, and I get to do it all the time. You probably do too. And there are those that just kind of ignore it, and you know, I've got a friend here in town that I've been talking to for 14 years, and we don't talk about Jesus all the time, but we're really good friends, and he's never, I never became his enemy. He just doesn't want to play. He just doesn't want to be he doesn't want to talk about Jesus. We've talked. Opportunities come up once in a while. Yeah, 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 I know. You've told me that before. But I'm not his enemy. So that means the door for me still feels kind of open. And the question is, are we willing to tell the truth even when there are some who will reject us because of that? That is a tough, tough question. It was limiting to me in the, my, my willingness to share the gospel for years. Until I got here, actually. Then God kind of took care of that. Uh, he did. And, and now I just, I just love talking about it. And there are those that will ignore it day one. Those that will kind of listen for a while and then ignore it and... Actually, this is the only time that I've actually ended up with someone that really seems to very much dislike me because of the truth that I have told. But he knows it. Whether he's rejected it or not, he now knows it. And he's seen it in action. He lived it with our family. He wasn't, I don't know what he was going to do if he didn't have a place to stay. That isn't why we did it. We did it because it was the right thing to do. We had the room, and we wanted to share Jesus. How much do you want to share Jesus, really? You know, we've got 100 and some odd kids coming in here for the next four days. Why? Because we want to share Jesus in a big way. And we even import some really well-trained counselors that largely do that for, them, for us. But at the same time, they will be blessed because they were here with us. We have a bit of a reputation for those that go out and do these things. People want to come here. It's a long way off. It's a long drive. It's about eight or nine hours. And then they'll have eight or nine hours going back after they're really exhausted. But it's part of it is the preparation that we do. Um, there's another church that comes down and picks up the stuff that, that is created here for them to use it at their church. You know, we're probably not going to use those cutouts and paintings and things like that again. And what a privilege it is to be able to share that. Be a part of it with someone else. How much do you want to share Jesus? And are you willing to take the risk of once in a while becoming an enemy? It's only happened to me once. And neither one of us are dead yet, so there's still a chance to turn that around. Let's pray together. Father, a wonderful story in so many ways, 
And yet there is this part there at the end that says, it's a real challenge, Lord. It's hard for us to do. And yet the question is, how much do we want it? How much do we really want our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our schoolmates, and our friends, how much do we want them to be saved? So I pray that you would stick that in, their heart, in our hearts, especially mine, because sometimes I forget. Put it in there. Let it become part of me and part of us and part of the character of our church that we desperately want more people to be saved on our watch. Thank you. In your great name, amen.